This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the boats and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells, didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we come out of the midterms and what our leaders are saying about them. So today, Norm, this is a a bit of a milestone. We've been recording now. It's been several months. We're still new. Have your friends pass along our podcast. But we have really been building up to this moment. I don't know how much sleep you got. I don't think you did. I got just as little on Tuesday, Tuesday, November 8th. But here we are. So let's we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into covering how how the midterms in our kind of eyes fared at what we are still struggling with. And then if we have some time and our members content can talk about what the party needs to do, the Democratic Party needs to do to look ahead, as now we're talking not just about 2024, but beyond. So Norm, how what were your reactions and your thoughts? We haven't had a chance to, to caucus on this. So reactions, thoughts, and how well you think you did in the predictions, even if they were just in your head, or we talked about them on the podcast. So uh, first, uh, let me say, at one level, I was relieved uh, by what happened. Um, because while I thought Republicans would win a narrow edge in the House and Democrats still had a slightly better than even chance of keeping the Senate and maybe adding a seat or two, I was uncertain because we were in a very different political environment and it was really hard to scope out. And I want to talk more a little bit later on about the press corps, which I have now written about and tweeted about as one of the biggest losers in this election campaign. But my relief is tempered by the hard dose of reality. Uh, I was talking earlier with Al Franken and I said, the analogy that I'm thinking of is you're on a boat that's sinking and you don't drown and you don't get eaten by sharks. And so you're feeling just great about that. But you end up on a desert island with no means of communication or way to get out. And the problem is that even though Democrats broke a lot of records, beat all expectations, did better than I think even many optimists might have suggested. Even if we saw Donald Trump emerge as a big loser out of all of this and now begin to hemorrhage support from even those people who are close to him, Rupert Murdoch, the New York Post with this devastating front page with a caricature called Humpty Trumpty. And, you know, I said with Murdoch, who has been one of Trump's biggest boosters, it's a lover's quarrel, but he's been dumped. And all of that doesn't get away from a couple of brutal realities. One, even if Trump disappears, which clearly a lot of the Republican elites would like to see, Trumpism doesn't. The Republicans who may end up with the tiniest of majorities in the House, it's still not entirely out of the question that Democrats could end up with 219 or 220 seats, but it's more likely that Republicans have a small single-digit gain, or at least a single-digit gain, margin of control, that the vast majority of those Republicans are election-denying radicals. The House, even if Kevin McCarthy is speaker in name, is going to be dominated by Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, 
Andy Biggs and the other radicals. And they're going to make our lives, the life of Joe Biden, the lives of Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, Tony Blinken, uh, and so many more absolutely miserable. They could throw us into default. They could undermine Ukraine. There are so many bad things that can happen. So my relief is tempered. Now, you know, we'll get into some of the other issues, including where we might go from here. But I can't at least leave without talking a little bit about the relief and say we've got issues that clearly made a bigger difference than a lot of people, including most of our mainstream journalists covering the campaign thought, which include democracy, which for many voters really was on the ballot, abortion, which became an absolutely pivotal issue in so many of these outcomes. And of course, the fact that we have a half dozen initiatives or referendums that have enshrined abortion protections in a variety of states, which is very positive. Also, student loans. We ended up having a big and robust turnout of younger voters, which made it the difference in a lot of places. And I got to believe, maybe we will see some research done after the fact, that for an awful lot of them, getting relief from student loan burdens made a difference there as well. But it's also that it's not just somehow avoiding a huge loss in the House, something that Barack Obama suffered both in 2010 and 2014, and Bill Clinton did in 1994. It's not just that they've got a real prospect of having 50 or even 51 Senate seats. And the difference, by the way, is really important. It's winning governorships. It's gaining perhaps 400 or more seats in state legislatures. It's winning chambers in states like Michigan and Minnesota that they haven't had for some time that really are historic. So for all the issues and problems, there's some pretty damn good stuff out there. Yeah, that's well said. So maybe I'll take a complimentary kind of reflective view on the evening of kind of Tuesday and close to midnight, I'd say Eastern time. I did have a very like nervous kind of this, like I, I, I wasn't as worried about the red wave that the media and we can talk about the press corps had been talking about, but I really, to your point, Norm, there's such like, it's like a razor thin where you could kind of say the Senate was frankly surprised at the razor thin margin that still exists in the house. So that did surprise me. I was not surprised about the Senate whatsoever. And that's what gave me this pit in my stomach that I still kind of have. I'm looking at the, you know, I'm looking at Clark County, looking at, you know, looking at um, Nevada and Arizona and the counties and what they're saying, knowing that we're not going to have an answer anytime soon. And then looking at Georgia, obviously, you know, in December, and I just have this like bad kind of feeling about that. But yes, I was overall relieved once kind of Wednesday morning broke. I thought, okay, all right, this is a set of results that we can do something with. As the day wore on, and then I saw President Biden's, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't a victory lap, but it was a little bit, it was Ron Klain tweeting, never underestimate Joe Biden. And I wanted to be like, oh, hold your brakes here for a second. I'm not sure that that's the lesson to take away. I think it's exactly as you said, that it was turnout, 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 especially amongst the youth, turnout amongst women, whether they were registered Democrats, independents or Republicans, they turned out. And these were the difference in the table stakes on some of these incredibly tight, razor thin margins. 
the part that still surprises me a little, I'm, I've been watching the exit polls. I, I think that there have been too many people who have made these blanket statements to say inflation and abortion drove the voters to the polls. You know, there's so much sub, there's so much subtext to what I've been witnessing, Norman, you have too. It's all, there's, there's like complex kind of issues of personal safety, police force. I do think some of the like critical race theory, education, transgender, kind of this incredible assault on rights. I think that plays into it to your point about like education loans and an opportunity for, I would say, our youngest generation which has been shortchanged in so many ways, by the way, by both Democrats and Republicans, to benefit tax kind of high income earners and, and, you know, to kind of go against the climate. They came out and said something. And I think that's reflective in like the first Gen Z member of Congress. That's the, I don't think Stacey Abrams failed. I think we see a lot of her success in the form of Warnock, as well as some of the other Georgia races that were at the local level. So I saw these like incredible, like deeper insights that I want Democrats to take hold of. And then I watched Florida. Norm, I don't think you and I were shocked that Ron DeSantis would handily win. I, I, I was not, you were not. Watch Florida. And there was this commentary, not only on Twitter, but in the media about, you know, this is because Floridians like DeSantis. He did not put in these stiff COVID policies. He did not do a lot of the punitive things that even a lot of other Republican states did when we had these incredible COVID surges and deaths. And I thought, you know, I don't know if that's correct. I think that the Democrats have abandoned Florida for some reason. They didn't spend as much money. They all kind of conceded. And, and if, you know, you and I have been to, I've been to West Palm Beach, there should be pockets of Florida that Barack Obama won handily that are now pretty red and surprised me. So I'm watching Florida and people saying, you know, look, Trump's not going to announce, hopefully he'll move from November 14th to December so we can get the Georgia Senate race done. And they're all assuming that DeSantis was also going to, will announce. But I think that if Democrats walk away and don't understand some of those deeper insights for where we have a lot more work to do, and, and all of this comes down to Cortez Masto. I was talking to a friend who's on the ground for the campaign for Cortez in Nevada, and he summarized it in two succinct points for me. He said, Kavita, he said, Cortez Masto called and begged Joe Biden early on in early in his administration to do something on immigration. This is something she cares about. It's something the state cares about. We, they got to do something significant and they didn't. And it feels like they didn't listen to her. And then here's the most important thing he said to me that I had not realized, Norm, and shame on me. He said that one of the challenges is that locally in Nevada, people criticize Cortez Masto for agreeing to the policy that pegs Nevada's gasoline prices to California. I had never even heard that insight to your point about the press corps and like how much they understand about the people. And he said, Kavita, when people are paying $5.16 a gallon and the rest of the country, except for California, is seeing their gas prices coming down, they just feel cheated and they're just tired of it. And so even though that's not her responsibility, they attribute it to her. So I think that there's a there's just a very interesting, like not, all Latinos do not vote the same. Don't think of it as a lo- voting block. You know, there's no single issue that necessarily drives this majority of voters alone. It's regional, it's local, it's complicated. I'm not sure we really fully appreciated that, but it was fascinating to hear that. I'll say, uh, I still think she is more likely than not to win from everything that I've seen. She's close enough 
with a lot of mail ballots yet to come in that she can uh, eke out a victory and that will make a huge difference. Your points about Florida and Hispanics are, are really well taken. The s- most stunning result that I saw early on was what was happening in Miami-Dade County. And Miami-Dade County, you know, we used to think of Florida, even as recently as a decade ago, as being several distinct territories. Miami-Dade and Southern Florida were Democratic bastions. The Panhandle and Pensacola, the area around Jacksonville, the middle of the state were red, but the state was competitive and purple and was going to stay so because of the booming Hispanic population, which was coming from places, including Central America, where you might have expected at least a willingness to support Democrats. But it's now gone completely in the other direction. I do think that Democrats missed a bet in this case because it's pretty clear that the use of that S-word, socialism, over and over again made a real difference with a lot of those voters. Cuban-Americans, Venezuelan-Americans, Colombian-Americans, so many others. But we know that Ron DeSantis basically kidnapped a group of Venezuelan asylum seekers, lured them out of Florida, out of Texas, I should say, using the same kind of techniques that the old man uses trying to lure kids into his van with candy, and took them to Florida, put them on a plane with millions of taxpayer dollars going to one of his cronies to take them to Martha's Vineyard, and called them illegal aliens. And why Democrats, including the National Democrats, the outside groups, and the candidates, Charlie Crist, didn't basically pound him and go after the fact that these were people who risked their lives to flee the socialist thuggery of Maduro. And it's his failing, not uh, that would have made a difference, I think, with some of those voters. So Now, that wouldn't have made a big enough difference because it's pretty clear that for the foreseeable future, Florida's not purple anymore, it's red. Just as we see with Ohio, it's less of a swing state. And we're going to have a different, I think, array of strategic choices to make in where you put money in 2024. But what's also clear is that even though we see from national numbers that Democrats support among Hispanic American voters, hasn't changed significantly. It's still somewhere in the range of 65-35. They've got big problems in key areas, in Texas, in Florida, and in Nevada at this point, and to some degree in Arizona. And if they can't address those, reaching out to people who are, in many cases, not all that fond of immigrants seeking entry into the United States because they're here and they're citizens and most of them did it the right way, who are conservative socially, many small business owners who really like the message of lower taxes and less regulation. Democrats have to find a way to have messages that work with different groups of voters. They're not hurting in California at this point. They're not hurting even in a state like North Carolina that has a significant level of Hispanic support. But 
for the future, they're going to have to address those issues. And there are things coming out of this election, along with the positives, that are going to require some work. That includes some messaging work. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. So why does American democracy look the way it does? And how can we make it more responsive to the people it was formed to serve? Democracy Decoded is a podcast by the Campaign Legal Center. It examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. In season two, host Simone Leeper covers everything you need to know about voting in the United States. She speaks with experts from across the country and voters representing impacted communities about the deliberate barriers to voting that exist today. She asks, how can we make our voting system more inclusive? Because our democracy works best when every voter can participate. Listen to the latest season at democracydecoded.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm trying to very carefully not jump in with, yeah, nor exactly, because um, as our incredible producer will tell you, it's very distracting when I do that. But I can't, I mean, yes, yes, and yes, everything you said. We don't even have a chance, but it would be nice to get your view on Virginia, Luria, Spamberger. I mean, that's like such, everything you just said about needing to understand all people, whether it's women, suburban, it's that Luria and Spamberger, right? Like that reflects like some of these like barbells of what's happening and how, I mean, I was ecstatic to see Spamberger win. And then I was watching the Luria numbers. I was like, ah, you know, and thinking about Virginia Beach and where people are. And we'll get into like what this means for kind of future race. But it was not lost on me exactly what you said, like as DeSantis was doing his like very, you know, best to do this presidential speech, right? His acceptance speech. I wanted to kind of blurt out. I wanted someone in the audience to heckle and say, like, how do you feel putting like people who have fled and looked for asylum and saw America as a beacon for that. How do you feel about using them and abusing them and using them to make a political message? You know, what is what is what is your take on how presidential or how much of a leader that is? So let me let me shift to actually the some of the exit polls to build on what you just said, because there have been by exit polls will get sliced and diced in many different ways. But to your point about education, these were races where we saw the 18 to 29 year old demographic come out in larger numbers and stronger numbers for Democrats. So not only more 18 to 29 year olds nationally, but also, and and by the way, indexed to other midterm races, all of these numbers are lower than what we had for turnout for 2020, which we expected. But in terms of comparing to midterms, larger numbers of youth, larger numbers of women, and especially interestingly, Latino women, 66% on an NBC News exit poll voted Democrat compared to 33% of women who identified as Latino. Same thing, Black women, we knew they were strong Democratic base, but this number was surprising. There was actually a slight increase, 10% of Black women on an NBC exit poll who voted, said they voted Republican compared to 88%. That's not a trivial, it's a small number, 10%, but non-trivial when you think about that increasing over time. Same thing for Black men. This is, by the way, it's not all Herschel Walker. It's, it's just a, this, again, a sentiment that there is 
a sense of loss of where the democratic base is and what would can be considered easy territory, black men, black women, Latinos. I do think that this is where the Democrats need to spend more time. But the other issues in terms of abortion, a number of exit polls show that for them, one of the like most important matters was reproductive justice, even in states where they knew they had very little chance to elect candidates that could actually have like, so Kentucky, for example, where we had Rand Paul winning handily and states like Oklahoma, almost down the ballot, all GOP. There were still exit polls in those states, in those districts that said that people came out to vote because they cared and they wanted to send a signal. They were frustrated, but they wanted to show that this was something that they cared about. And I don't know if you noticed, I, I I, I actually took notice of a pretty decent um, flooding the zone of some of these very red districts with ads with Republicans. And generally, I would say people who I self-identified as Christian conservatives that said, this is the first time I'm going to vote Democratic because of like their views on abortion. And I thought that was actually an effective strategy to kind of go back to people, break stereotypes and talk about the substance. And I thought that was incredible. The other issues that got top vote in addition to abortion and inflation, crime, something that is a subtext to a lot of these other races that are tight and close and some that we didn't expect. Gun policies, which is interesting. I didn't expect that one, Norm. That surprised me. And then immigration, of course. And then just getting to like these issues of like, who do you trust to handle crime? Obviously, the majority of Democrats that felt like the Democratic Party, that was a very reflective of urban areas, urban Democratic voters kind of had confidence in how the Democratic Party's candidates handled these issues. Suburban voters, so it's not just rural, urban, suburban voters feel like they're moving a little bit more conservative than past years. So reflect on some of that, Norm. I take that seriously, but I I have to say as a caveat, Kavita, we're going to have to have a whole session again on polling, which is a catastrophe right now. And the exit polls, have their own problems, including how they deal with early voters. I think there's some reflection of reality in the issues, certainly. What's pretty clear is that a press corps that said, eh, abortion, that's a passe now, it isn't going to matter. All the snarky reflections by New York Times and other journalists when Biden gave his quite stirring speech in defense of democracy, saying, why aren't you focusing on things that people care about, like crime and inflation? where it's pretty clear that democracy was an issue for a significant number of voters. I thought Democrats missed a beat generally on the crime issue. Now, we know a couple of things about crime. One is we know that violent crime is much more significant, including murders in Oklahoma and Mississippi and Alabama and Texas than it is in New York. And we know that murder rates in many of these places are actually down. But it doesn't matter what the reality is if people feel that their own personal safety can be compromised. One of the things that I've noticed is I get an email every day from the New York Daily News with sort of their headlines. Every single day, the headline is about somebody who's been murdered. If people see that, they think their own personal safety could be questioned. And in a lot of places, there are reasons to feel that. You have to deal with it. What Val Demings did, yes, she lost and lost pretty handily to little Marco Rubio. But the debate that she had with Rubio, she just eviscerated him on the crime issue by turning it into a gun issue. 
And that's what it is. It is the easy, widespread availability of these weapons of mass destruction that are leading not just to more violent crime, of course, but also to suicides and and often crimes within the family. And if Democrats picked up on that issue, it may not have been the driving issue for voters, but we know that overwhelming majorities of Americans believe that we're flooded with guns, that there aren't background checks, uh, that they're creating all of these catastrophes. So there are better ways of dealing with that. Now, you know, I would say that the misreading of the polls, even of the lousy polls, of course, voters said inflation was the top issue because there's a lot of inflation. Democrats are concerned about inflation because it hits them too. That didn't mean they were going to vote for Republicans. So the inability to suss out from surveys what are significant things, to not understand from polls that in part because of the way questions are constructed, that abortion was going to be a big factor in this election. It's a failing of the press, but it also is a reality that was undercounted as we went into this into this campaign. One final thought on this. The Supreme Court was critical here in two ways. One, the Dobbs decision. Two, on the other hand, the evisceration of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, the unleashing of outrageous racial gerrymandering, probably cost Democrats enough seats in the House to cost them the majority if indeed they lose it. Yeah, and I'll just say, in case uh, it hasn't been underscored enough, that not only the redistricting and the gerrymandering had consequences in what we saw Tuesday continuing to unfold, but there are some dockets, Pencil. I mean, there are a number of states that are still going to come before the Supreme Court for exactly this issue. I can predict how that'll result, what those results will be probably. And then we will have, I fear, Norm, the truth, and we'll close on this. 2024, if you look at who's up in 2024, we're not in a much better situation. So if we do not, and we again, Democrats, but the Republican Party also has like some soul searching to do. If people do not kind of understand exactly what you said, the issues with the press corps, terrible polling, you're absolutely right. And just a baseline lack of understanding of what is happening kind of at not just a micro level, but just the, the public sentiments. Like, why is it that we can't explain all of these Biden successes? I mean, we've done podcasts in a, a row about incredible Inflation Reduction Act opportunities. And yet that doesn't actually resonate with some people. And so anyway, we can't get to that. We are, you and I are going to be sitting here, hopefully with more listeners and downloads in 2024, having this exact same conversation and feeling two years older and more frustrated. So I'll, on that note, we owe a debt of thanks to all of our listeners. It would be incredibly helpful as we hit this milestone of the midterms and try to keep having us be one of the podcasts you rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, do anything to get the word out. So that, and if you want to join our conversation, become a member of the DSR network. Get a bonus segment where today we're going to talk about the future, a little bit of like what uh, some of the elections of the midterms and the results tell us about what what the party needs to work on, Democrat, what the Republicans are going to need to work on. Words Matter is a production of the DSR Network. Our incredible producer is Grant Haver. The executive producer of the DSR Network is Chris Cutmore. Next episode will be in your podcast feed November 17th. See you then.